Welcome to another podcast of Resin Fellowship. We're glad you joined us. We're doing a little bit differently tonight. We are live streaming this through Facebook, so hope you can get this and join us. And we've been going through the 12, not the 12 tribes of Israel, not the 12 apostles that walked with Jesus, but the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament. Part of the Bible that's probably one of the most neglected sections in the whole Bible. And a lot of things, a lot of times people think they're called minor prophets because they're less significant than that of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. They're not. The Bible scholars have called them the minor prophets simply because of the brevity of their messages that are written for us in the Bible. Matter of fact, when you get to Zechariah, you'll find that it's not brief, nor is it very simple to know anyway. But the minor prophets are not just history of what took place one time a long time ago. It's not just for uh, about the Old Testament people. The minor prophets are for everyone even today because in the minor prophets, we can see that God is calling each one of us to repent of our sins, for obedience, to be obedient to God's word and to hold to the promise of the future. Now we've already gone through seven of the minor prophets. One of them is Hosea, that's the first one. And his uh, ministry and his message both grew out of a personal heartbreak in his own family. The second is Joel. Joel saw the national calamity of the uh, swarm of locusts that overtook the field. He saw that as an immediate judgment on the nation of Israel, but he also saw as an ultimate judgment upon Israel that would come upon all of mankind when the day of the Lord would come. Amos was a sheep herder. He's not really a prophet. He wasn't a full-time uh, in the ministry, but God called him and told him to go from Judah and go to the nation of Israel and prophesy against them. Obadiah is the next one, and he had two messages to proclaim. He had a message from God for God's vengeance upon Esau, but he also had a message for God's victory for Jacob. You might wonder, what's the significance? Why those two messages? Well, if you'll remember, uh, in the Old Testament, Esau and Jacob were twin brothers, and Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob was the secondborn, and he was God's chosen one. And as they did go on, they each had their own kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of Esau was later called Edom. And of course, Jacob was named, uh, his name was changed to Israel and he became of the Israelites. And they were always fighting among one another. And so Obadiah's message was God's vengeance was gonna be taken out on Edom, but there was a victory for Jacob. And then there was Jonah, which ranks as probably the most known story of all of the uh, 12 minor prophets probably one of the most, story, uh, most known stories in all of the Bible. But the thing of it is, Jonah is an actual person. He's not just a fable, a myth, or a fairy tale. And although it's familiar to us, if you study through those four short chapters, there are many truths to discover from that Old Testament book. And then there's Micah that we've already looked at, and his focus was to Judah, the southern kingdom, and its capital was Jerusalem. There were seven chapters in this uh, short book of Micah, and there were three sermons that he preached. They preached about a judgment is coming, but he also preached that a deliverer was coming. And then he had the final message that he had was trust the Lord today. Our last podcast we did was about Nahum, and he proclaimed God's message about the destruction of Nineveh. Now he went to the same people that Jonah went to, but it was over a hundred years later. And with Jonah, God gave the people an opportunity to repent. When Nahum was sent, it was a message of destruction. Their time was up, but this message was written, not so much to the Ninevites to warn them that their time was up, but this was a time to, of a message of hope 
for Judah, that even though they were going to suffer still greatly at the hands of the Ninevites before their demise came, that they could hope and remain uh, hanging on to the hope that God had for them in the face of danger. Now, today is the eighth prophet that we're going to be looking at of the old minor prophets, and it's Habakkuk. And if you ever looked around your life and your world and the things that are going on and seeing all the injustice that's out there and all the violence and ever ask yourself, why doesn't God do something about all of this? Because it looks like the wicked are prospering and the righteous are only suffering. Godly people pray. And even though they pray, it seems like their prayers don't even go above the ceilings in their homes. It seems like their prayers do no good. Well, this personal drama of Habakkuk can be divided into three acts. And this is uh, in these acts, we're going to find how he faces his doubts. He's honest about it and how he finds certainty in his faith. And in the first chapter, we see the prophet wondering. Have you ever seen things happening? You begin to wonder about them. And when you do, what do you do? You begin to ask questions. Well, that's exactly what Habakkuk did. He had two questions for God and he was speaking them for himself, but he was also the voice for the nation. And the first question is, why is God silent and inactive? The wickedness of the people were growing all around them. The evil was rampant throughout the nation, yet God seemed to be doing nothing about it. And, and they had their internal problems, that's for sure, but there was also the growing threat of the Babylonian empire that was gaining strength and was sweeping across the countryside, gaining political uh, power over the political landscape. And when the prophet asked this question, God gave him an answer. And that's recorded in the first chapter between verses five and verse 11. And just to sum those up, the answer that God gave the prophet is, well, Habakkuk, I am about to do something. And what I'm about to do, you are going to be amazed because I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, which are the Babylonians, and they're gonna conquer and punish my people. Now the Babylonian empire and that army was already known as a fierce nation. One that when they attacked, they did terrible and dreadful things to the people they conquered. And they were so fast and moving across the landscape. They were like, seemed like eagles flying across the sky. And just in a moment's notice, they would swoop down and go in for the kill. And so when God's answer comes to Habakkuk, that answer only brings another question to the prophet's mind, doesn't bring him any peace. The second question that comes in the book of Habakkuk in the first chapter is not only why is God silent and inactive, but if he's going to use the Babylonians, how could God begin to use such a sinful nation for a holy cause to bring around his judgment? I mean, the prophet knew that God's people had sinned and they were deserving of the punishment that God would give them. But how could God even begin to think about using an even more sinful people like the Chaldeans? And if because anybody deserved punishment more than Israel, it would be them. And let me tell you, there is nothing wrong, not only for a prophet of God, but for the people of God. If they're wrestling with the problems of life and the things that are going on around them to seek to try to be able to solve them, God wants us to be able to ask him why. And sometimes when it seems like that God doesn't care and the, it appears like he's forsaken his own and it seems like he may even be helping the heathen, it's okay for us to ask that because when we stop and think from the time of Christ's crucifixion, how many millions of people have been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ? And when we see all this injustice going on and evil being rampant, 
It's hard for us sometimes to honestly worship, to trust and to serve a God whose ways seem to be so seemingly contradictory. But what's interesting is as Habakkuk is open and honest before the Lord, wondering what's going on, when he doesn't get the answers that he's seeking, it's amazing that he didn't become an atheist or agnostic and turn his back on God. Uh, but what he does is he begins to pray, he begins to meditate, and he begins to wait upon the Lord. That's what we see in chapter two. Chapter one, we see the prophet wondering. In chapter two, we see the prophet watching and waiting. And God gives him three wonderful assurance to encourage and strengthen his prophet for the difficult days that are ahead. The first one comes in chapter two, verse four. And there's one little verse, one little section of this verse that is so important. And God tells Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. That's one of the most important verses of all the Bible. Because you see, it forms the context of three of the major New Testament books. The just shall live by faith is found, first of all, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And the emphasis there in the book of Romans is about the just. It's also found in Galatians. Paul used it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. The emphasis there is not on the just, but it's how the just shall live. And the just shall live by faith in Hebrews 10, 38. The writer of Hebrews uses it, and his emphasis is all about the faith. The just shall live by faith. There are literally two kinds of people in this world. There are the people who are proud and they trust in themselves, just like the Chaldeans did, just like what the uh, people of Israel was doing when they turned their back upon God. And then there are those who are humble and they trust not in themselves, but in the Lord. It kind of reminds you of the story in uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter uh, 18, verses 9 through 14, when you see the two people in the, in the square, in the public place, beginning to pray. You had the Pharisee and the publican. And the Pharisee in his long, nice robe and had his offering ready, ready to give to the temple and everything. And looked around and he, and he saw the publican over there. And he began to lift his eyes toward heaven. And he began to even just pat himself on the chest saying, God, thank you that I'm not like this sinful publican over there. And then when it was time for the publican to play, he would not begin to even look his eyes toward heaven. He just looked down at the earth and he didn't pat himself on the back or pat himself on the chest. He began to beat himself on the chest. And he said, Father, forgive me for I'm nothing but a sinner. There are two kinds of people. They're the people who are proud. They trust themselves. They're people who humble themselves before the Lord and trust in him. Which category do you fit in? You may have gone to church for many years in your life. You may have been through the baptistry. You may have been uh, doing the Sunday school thing. You may have been on mission trips. You may do all these things. But then if you begin to turn away from the Lord and trust your own righteousness and your own goodness, then you become proud like the Pharisee. So which category are you in? Or do you see yourself trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in the Lord? Even if things aren't going maybe the way you think they should. So the first wonderful assurance that God gives to his prophet, the prophet who's watching and waiting is the assurance that the just shall live by faith. The second promise that God gives his prophet is in verse 14 of chapter two. And he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as is the sea is filled with water. Now that's kind of hard for a prophet to be able to Accept that and wonder that the glory of the Lord is going to fill the land when there's so much greed and violence, murder and drunkenness and idolatry that was polluting God's land and God's people. 
It's even polluting America today, a country that was supposedly founded upon godly Christian principles. It's invaded our land. God hates those sins as much today as he did back in Habakkuk's time. And even though it seems like the wicked are prospering, God promises that one day that the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth just like the water covers the seas. That promise stands for us today that that will come true that day when Jesus Christ returns to earth and establishes his righteous kingdom doing away with this old one. And the third assurance that the prophet receives from God is that the Lord is in his holy temple. Habakkuk thought God was uninterested in the things that were going on with the problems of life. But he was about to discover that God was very much concerned and working out his own plan and in his own time. And if we look around in our circumstances and the things that are going on, we too can become very discouraged and want to just throw up our hands and quit. But if we quit looking around and we look up to God in faith and we look ahead, to his glorious return of Christ, then we can be encouraged and we can be enabled to go on to victory. So we see the prophet wondering what was going on in chapter one. We see the prophet begin to watch and to wait in chapter two. And the Lord begins to speak to him. And then we see in chapter three, the prophet worshiping. Now it's interesting. I just even saw this this morning as I was reading through some more things about Habakkuk, is the name Habakkuk means one who embraces or one who clings. And he began to watch and wait on the Lord after his time of doubt and fear and wondering. And then as he began to meditate upon the word of God and receive the word of God, he begins to embrace the God that he had trusted in, the one that he depended upon. And Habakkuk in chapter three becomes a changed man. He's no longer pouting about what's going on and why the wicked seem to be prospering while God's people were suffering. No, he begins praising God. And it can happen to us too in our lifetime, in our situation where we are. If we wait upon the Lord and watch for him, we can end up worshiping him just like the prophet did. In chapter three, verse two, we see that first of all, he begins to pray. In verses three through six, uh, verse two, he says, he knows that God's wrath will be there and judgment will, and he begins to remember that God has mercy too. And then in verses uh, six through 16, he begins to ponder. He remembers that God has worked in the past for the nation of Israel, and he begins to allow his faith to know that God was gonna work for them too in the future as well. And then finally, In verses 17 through 19, he begins to praise God right here. And this is one of the greatest confessions of faith found anywhere in all of the Bible, not just in the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, but all the Bible. Listen to the words of this prophet as he begins to praise his God, knowing that God is going to do what's right. He says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food and there be no herds in the stall. Now, that's coming from a nation and a culture that's so different from us. But if we're here in the United States, it would be like we get to the point where we go, you know what? I may not have enough to put food on the table for my family tonight. You know, 
All my 401k has just gone bankrupt with Wall Street going down. Even though I don't have anything that I've worked for all of my life is what uh, Habakkuk is saying here. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. So he'll allow me to walk in the high hills. That is simply the Old Version Testament of Philippians chapter four, verse 11 through 13. Paul writes this, and he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned whatever state that I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the faith and the trust in the one. It's not about being Habakkuk or being Paul. It's about having the same faith as those men of God did. The message is quite simple. In Habakkuk, are you wondering where God is and what he's up to? Then why don't you just wait and watch? Why don't you begin to walk by faith and not by sight and know that the earth is going to be full of his glory and that he is the Lord and that he is still in his temple. If that doesn't lead you to worshiping, then I don't think there will be anything that can get you to humble yourself before God. God wants to use the difficulties we experience in our life to strengthen our faith to continue to walk day by day. My mom taught me this a long time ago when I was just a little bitty child. She says, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. And who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And God showed him to you in a very special way by allowing him to die on the cross in front of everyone. And what you have seen in the light, never doubt in the darkness. Don't let Satan Pull the wool over your eyes to bring fear and confusion in you. Remain strong in the Lord, not trusting in yourself, but in God who loves you. Again, as we close this, I want to invite you, if you have any comments or anything, please email me at mike at risen.church. I would love to hear from you. And I want to end this with a blessing like I've been doing as we've gone through the minor prophets. And I want to have a blessing on you that's a prayer. And it's the lyrics from a song of a friend of mine named Wayne Kerr that has recorded this song twice, as a matter of fact. I encourage you to look him up and, and to listen to it. But it's my prayer for you. He says, I pray that you could have joy like you've never known, peace and a happy home, time to be all alone. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. Hope for a better day. Love because it's the only way. Grandkids, when you're old and gray, this is my prayer, my prayer for you that you could step into the ocean at least once a year, that the love of a child would whisper in your ear, that God would be the center of everything you do. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. God bless you, and I hope you get everything you want from God because of your continuing faith in Him.